filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. I do want to apologize to our listeners because we nah, are, you shouldn't. I should. I should. You never apologize, right? That's the first rule of politics podcasting, I guess. I don't know. I'm sorry for that, too. Uh, um, we're recording a day late because I was stuck at work very, very late on Monday night um, covering the omnibus because it happened and the government's not shutting down this week, which is... You know, probably a good thing, but it means we're a day late. And I know we had at least one tweet uh, from somebody, uh, Jonesing, from Ted, the Ted Meyer, uh, Jonesing for his fix of filibuster. So Ted, to you, I apologize. Um, we were late. I think Ben tweeted out that our injury status was day to day with a Congress. Yep. Which was correct. True. I like the idea of only apologizing to Ted and to no one else. Because no uh, one else expressed uh, a need that they are Jones, and so Ted. At least see, I can't speak for everyone, but Ted, I, I'm sorry to you. Okay, just to Ted, we yes. will make that the official. Everyone else, official this is no, when it showed up. I, I would prefer to apologize to all of our listeners except Ted. <laughs> ben, you just have to be contrary, don't you? I think you should apologize to me and Jason. Why? You should apologize to us. Who's? Uh, I did in emails. Okay. <laughs> I said sorry, I have to go late this week. So I already did apologize. Apology I think it's your turn. I apologize to all of our listeners except Ted. As someone who occasionally listens to his own podcast, yes, I'm vain. I accept your apology. You probably think this podcast is about you. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. This podcast is about me. Uh, I'm so vain. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and lots more. Tonight, we are talking about DC United, and it's a happy show because DC United won. Yay! First road win of 2017. Ben, don't do that anymore. I think you should apologize again. I do apologize for any ICP-related things that I may have just uttered. And I can't even... Anyway, DC United, first road win of 2017, 3-1 over Atlanta something or other, uh, down in Atlanta. We're going to talk about that. We're going to preview DC United's upcoming visit from the Montreal Impact. That's Saturday, 6 o'clock at RFK Stadium and on News Channel 8. Before we talk about anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went to the liquor store looking for beer. I wasn't really sure what I was in the mood for. And when you're in that kind of mood, you end up with impulse buys. Um, so I impulse bought a, a, a beer that's probably not right for e the emerging warm weather. Uh, but I also impulse bought something I've had on the show before. So tonight, uh, because I didn't, didn't want to drink a heavy uh, stout, 
I instead am drinking Devil's Backbone's Ginger Brow, um, which <laughs> still isn't too gingery, but it's still a very good beer. Um, and good for this, this, uh, very pleasant, if also high pollen, uh, last couple of days we've had. Um, I don't know pollen. if I, I don't really have major allergies, but when, like, my entire face is full of pollen, then I have some allergic reaction, it turns out. Um, yeah, for me, I, it was the same. I was never, uh, never had seasonal allergies until around the summer or spring of 2010, I think, maybe even 2011. When, when things just got really bad and it wasn't so much an allergic reaction as pollen filling just, my nose. And yes. Your, your and face ears. is full of a dust of some yes. kind. It, I it saw, was not pleasant. I saw a car today driving and I could literally see the cloud of pollen coming off of the car as it moved past me. Um, which is just, it's too much. It is. Get it together. Trees. <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ben. Bi- biologically, it's a different part of the tree. Pistols. Uh, anyway, I, I'm drinking a rosé because of the nice, warm spring weather. California rosé. A friend of mine, several years ago, got me drinking rosé in the springtime. And Sparkling rosé or just a no. regular rosé? Ben. Ben. No. What? Yes. Not sparkling rosé. Um... It's it's just a it's a still rosé and it's it's pretty tasty. It came from Wardman Wines, um, and it's it's good. I like it. Ben, what are you drinking? So uh, we went to a party over the weekend, and my lovely wife made a punch that required ingredients such as pineapple juice, and we had leftover pineapple juice. So I have. The aforementioned pineapple juice. How many times can I say pineapple juice? And uh, rum. Okay. Very tropical drink. White rum, spiced rum, dark rum? Uh, Cruzon rum. So it's not a white rum, but not a spiced rum. An aged rum? Is Cruzon aged? I guess technically. I mean, it's, it's it's a gold rum. It's got to get the color from somewhere, unless they're just yeah. throwing a bunch of food yeah. coloring in there. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they are. I think they're putting it in a barrel for. This is like this is like a couple of months. The rum equivalent of reposado. Yes, exactly. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is what I was getting at when I said rested. I'll allow it. Hey. <laughs> Cruzon is good, and it's probably the most affordable good rum at your uh, various liquor stores. So I recommend it. We drank a lot of it when I Wait. went to the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is where it's from. Here, uh, before we go on, I, I want to bring up the possibility that you guys all had the same terrible rum when you were in college that I did. Um, Probably. What was a bottle of Ron Rico uh, in your respective oh, college experiences? Oh, Ron Rico, no. A handle of Ron Rico was like $7 in College Park, Maryland, circa 2002 or 2003. And uh, as such, uh, it was... When money was short, you bought the Ron Rico. Um, if you could splurge, you you didn't. But there were times where it was like, well, we're going to drink. Does anyone have enough we, money uh, to buy rum? And when they didn't, it was time for Ron Rico. In, in, my, in my college apartment where we had all of the pet band parties because, you know, um, my roommate was very particular in what he ate or drank. I think we've and... heard about this roommate before. Probably, uh, and we would o- he would only allow us to get 
uh, Vladimir vodka, and <laughs> he would mix that with uh, apple juice. Yes. And his you... drink was apple juice and vodka. You've had that on the show. Yeah. Um, but, not with, but not with Vladimir. During bad times, uh, you've had that on the show. Not with Vladimir vodka. Well, no. I, I, I have Another $7 plastic bottle handle of vodka. Yeah, the yes. cheap the cheap booze in West Lafayette when I was there was basically I mean there were there were various ones, but the one you really went to when you wanted to to just not spend any money on as much alcohol as you could was McCormick. Every spirit. <laughs> McCormick gin, McCormick rum, McCormick vodka. That was it, the cheap stuff that you went to. Was it spelled <laughs> like the spice company? Yes. Uh, so it's like did it look, version of buying, did, When I started buying spices, and you come out here in all the grocery stores, yes, that's all they carry is McCormick spices. I was like, huh, I wonder if it's the same company. I, <laughs> I think it would be kind crap. of awesome if it was. We just also make this awful rum that we only sell in one part of the country and not anywhere near our headquarters. <laughs> uh, let's talk soccer, because we have good soccer to talk about. Uh, DC United ignored the script as written, came from behind to win 3-1 over Atlanta United at Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it didn't look like United were going to ignore the script for the first several minutes of this game. It was bad for DC United. It was chance after chance for Atlanta. Bill Hamid made a couple of fantastic saves uh, before Kenwin Jones broke through after nine minutes. Really, through that opening, the only player who wasn't aggressively terrible wearing black and red, I, I guess in this case wearing white, mostly, um, because that's what United were wearing. The real United, not... Uh, freaking Atlanta United stealing the colors in the name is making this way more difficult than it should be. Anyway, DC United was really bad through the opening. Uh, Atlanta finally scored. Bill Hamid was pretty great. Made a couple of fantastic saves on Hector Viaba uh, before Kenwin Jones broke through. Ben, what was going on with the defense? They just were not awake for the first 10 minutes or so. Yeah, it was It was definitely the first 10 minutes, and I think it was more like the first 20 minutes, even after uh, the goal and things started to maybe settle down. But they were still, uh, Bobby Boswell and, especially, and Sean Franklin especially, were just giving each other puzzled looks. And it didn't make any sense, and Kofi Apari wasn't playing well. And throughout the whole balance of the game, Taylor Kemp was the best defender. And I think he's been DC United's best field defender all of this season. And that's not something I would have ever thought to believe if you had told me that a couple years ago. But they eventually figured it out. Kofi Apare, if you exclude the first 15 or 20 minutes, had a really good game. He's mm-hmm. finally starting to get back to the level that we expect him to be at. And Bobby Boswell, once he started to actually mark Kenwin Jones, turned in at least an acceptable game. And so, luckily Bill was there to bail them out, because otherwise it could have been uh, similar to previous games, especially the NYCFC game that uh, a lot of people had been comparing the beginning of this to. Um, but it's still not great how the defense still doesn't understand how to come out at the beginning of games. and 
maybe or the offers. This was one where n- well, nobody yeah. wear, wearing DC United uniforms looked like they were ready um, at the at the start of this one. And you're right. I mean, Bill Hamid was the only one who who showed up and was was locked in from the opening whistle. Uh, Lamar Nagel eventually did force the tying own goal. And after that, it was uh, Lucha Acosta who who made things happen. He and Bill Hamid are on MLS's Team of the Week this week. Um, deservedly so. Acosta had uh, the game-winning goal and an assist on the insurance tally. Uh, and a beautiful assist it was, um, putting uh, Sebastian Latou into literal acres of space behind the very high Atlanta line. And as he tweeted today, he was very much onside, despite yes. the protestations of the Atlanta back line. I mean, that was as much due to the, uh, I think anybody asking about it afterward was probably uh, looking at the camera angle, which just there wasn't one showing. Right. I didn't see a replay anyway, showing no. whether it was. The, the camera angle always was too close to Acosta to show both players involved. So you'd see the pass and then the camera panned over and saw the run. So it's from the Fox broadcast it was impossible to say whether he was on site or not they never showed uh an angle that was conclusive and they, and they also bizarrely never brought up the issue they never looked back on it and said like yeah. let's make sure he was on or anything they were just like this is fine and it was but it's odd for a call that was still kind of close uh, involving a goal didn't get more analysis but what are you gonna do i mean they were they were pretty confused throughout the game uh, JP Della Camera and Alexi Lawless, they really didn't know what to do th- with themselves once DC United got back into the game. Yeah, the and... game was following the early, the early script was following their expectations almost too much. And then when things went the other way, it was like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Um, it, was, it was like they were reading a choose your own adventure book that they'd done a million times and knew exactly which pages to turn to and got one of them wrong and just ended up in a different story. And they they just kept going along as if this is not the perfect analogy, I understand, <laughs> but <laughs> bear with me. Uh, Luciano Acosta was was fantastic in this game before he came off. Uh, I, I think he, he even got a nutmeg in there for a goal and assist and a nutmeg, which somebody coined the the Lucho Acosta hat trick. I'll 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 accept it. That sounds fun. Fun is good. Um. Both Lucho and Bill Hamid, the best two players in this game, dealing with injuries after this one. Lucho dealing with it beforehand, too. He's not just got an ankle injury. It's now come out. He's got bone spurs in his ankle, which the team is managing. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't flare up too badly. And Ben Olsen knows all about bone spurs in his ankles. So hopefully this is something that can be managed and maybe even healed over, over time. Um, Bill Hamid dealing with a groin injury. He had an MRI today. It came back negative, And as Dan Patrick used to say, that's a positive for DC United. Uh, so I think they'll both be in the lineup come Saturday against Montreal. That's very good things. Um, Bill, uh, Bill Hamid actually posted a, um, on his Instagram account, there was a little Instagram story at the, um, cryogenics place that, local athletes have been going to and it was just a, i'm not it was some sort of contraption that was aimed at a spot i guess that was a trouble spot that he was having and it's like a it's like a super now he didn't explain this it's just a brief video so i'm reading into a lot of it but it's some sort of gadget that focuses the the freezing air 
or yeah, maybe it's like a, a super freezing hair dryer kind of deal. I don't know. Um, but it was focused on a specific spot rather than getting in the big tub that has the smoke coming out of it and you stand in there and be cold for a couple minutes. Um, this was like a super pinpointed kind of deal. Um, huh. so I don't know, um, exactly if that will do anything or not. I am not a cryogenics expert, it turns out, but, uh, it was a thing that happened. Um, and it's an interesting, uh, note that he, he had the day off, but it wasn't like he, he was just laying around waiting to heal. He was going somewhere trying to do something about it. So that's a good sign. Um, who knows how much it will actually do, but you know, it's something. Right. It's probably more effective than cupping, which I mean, icing general icing, like my, I got, as I was complaining about my back, I got a massage. And at the end of it, uh, when I was going home, she was like, don't forget to put ice on, on the spot that you, you know, the, the worst spot. She's like, make sure to ice that a few times, um, tonight and tomorrow. So that, uh, basically you're trying to, um, heal your body that much faster rather than just being like, well, I'm fine. And then going right back out into it and probably ending up, especially in my case being, 35 and not a professional athlete, um, going right back into injured again, um, is where I assume I would go if I didn't do anything else. Like everything's great. And then like, by the time I have arrived home, like, nope, I'm ruined again. Um, maybe you should try uh, homeopathy. Maybe that'll work for you. Uh, I feel like the thing to do is to use the ice rather than like, uh, tinctures and other, um, uh, drams and tinctures yes uh leeches i don't think are going to fix uh my problems or bill hamid's problems uh i don't think he should invest in have that either you cons- have you considered mercury pills <laughs> have i have i <laughs> uh dc united didn't need well they, they found the right alchemy jason how i, I set you up for an alchemy <laughs> reference and you didn't take it i don't know why i'm the one making an alchemy reference but here i am Ben Olsen got the alchemy right in this one, making an adjustment, uh, which he's done a few times this year, pulling Ian Harks a little deeper into midfield to shift more from a 4-1-4-1 into a 4-2-3-1, um, having him deeper alongside Jared Jeffrey. And, and after that, even though United only had 25% of possession throughout this game, Atlanta's chances kind of dried up. Yeah, um, it was a recognition that United was getting overloaded. Jared Jeffrey was left being, Jared Jeffrey and the center backs, um, were being left with too much on their plate. I don't think Jeffrey was really that much of, that much more of a problem than anyone else. The start of the game, like we already said, everyone but Bill Hamid was playing badly. Um, it was a 10 bad players all at once kind of thing. Um, but Jeffrey was in, in, within that group. Jeffrey was probably more towards the front than the back, uh, of the, uh, the badness standings or, to the back of badness standings, I guess. I don't know if standings have backs and fronts. Um, but he wasn't playing particularly badly. He was just one of the guys that was a little off. Um, but he was being, even if he was playing well, he was left with too much to do. Um, Atlanta was flooding that area. Um, Miguel Almiron is too good um, and too mobile to just sit in and occupy a space and think you're going to deal with him. Um, I don't know that Ian Harks necessarily had a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but... By moving him into that area and just occupying that space in front of the center backs with an extra man, um, Atlanta changed what they were doing, and they found things more complicated, and it slowed them down, and they never they never really solved it from there. Um, they had a couple good looks, but a lot of their best looks after that were from wide-angled shots, long-range shots, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think Vialba had a couple good-looking shots, but they were all out 
you know, off center. Um, and a couple of them were outside the box. So, um, United solved the basic problem that they, they, I mean, they had to wake up, which is not a tactical thing. You just have to, the players had to wake up and they did. Um, but they also solved their, the main tactical problem they were facing right there, um, by dropping Harks in and playing four, two, three, one, um, rather than the four, one, four, one that we've seen a lot of. Um, and it, it's not the ideal place for Harks to be, I don't think. Um, it's not the ideal look for this team, but in this game specifically, it was a needed move. And Olsen got it right. He saw, you know, how things were, things were going badly. He saw that there was a problem. He fixed it. Um, and it never, it never really got solved by Atlanta. Um, who did, they did try some things. They tried to move some players around. Um, they started pushing, um, uh, Almiron further up. Um, to try and occupy, uh, those guys a little more. Um, that was the first sub. Actually, we, we criticized the Fox broadcast, but uh, earlier, or at least I did. Um, but I will say that Katie Witham's sideline reporting actually provided some really useful information on Atlanta's substitutions. Yeah, she's really good. Um, because the first sub, she was the one that pointed out that Almiron was pushing up, um, to be a full-time attacking midfielder rather than playing the slightly, not deep, but slightly deeper role than he, than a normal number 10 in MLS does. Um, the first sub, he pushed up higher. Um, the second sub was when they moved to four, four, two, uh, they brought in the second striker with Brandon Vasquez. Um, she was pointing that stuff out from, from the sideline, which was, is actually helpful to know. Um, as a viewer, it helps to know what the other team is trying to do rather than having to parse it yourself. Um, because it just leaves so much more on your plate. And so this is really a good thing for broadcasters to do. If anyone's listening, you should tell your sideline reporters to follow this example uh, a lot more often because a lot of times we get like, yeah, he's upset because the game's going bad. Back to you guys. And it's like that everyone knows that and it didn't help anyone. Um, so anyway, um, to go back to it, uh, that dropping a second player, and it's funny how it's not that like wild of a tactical change, but Atlanta, I just don't think we're prepared for what that would look like and what to do about it. Um, and the try as they might, it, nothing they tried worked. It, it, it did help United that they got the lead and Atlanta's bench was especially short because as much as they've drawn raves for how they built their roster, they don't really have the legs to withstand attacking injuries. And right now they have, uh, Joseph Martinez is still out and Jacob Peterson was out injured for this one. And all of a sudden they ended up with Brandon Vasquez as a striker and everyone else on their bench was a central midfielder or a defender or a goalkeeper. They had no wide options to bring into this game. And that kind of showed it. It, it was uh, telling that they were stuck bringing in Kevin Kratz and moving people around. They pushed Almiron out to the, to the wing at one point um, just to try and get anything going. It's because they didn't have the option of just sending in a fresh attacker on the, on the wing, someone who did th- things a little differently because they didn't have any They're They're Andrew Carl. The only person left on their team that could have filled that role was Andrew Carlton. And he's with the USU 17s. That's only three guys being unavailable and they were down to no attacking width options whatsoever. Um, right. For, for all the, the hype and the praise, uh, some of it deserved. Oh yeah. They've gotten in Atlanta. They, they're still an expansion team and are going to have some expansion team issues like depth. Yeah. And you know, that's something that all, all expansion teams have to deal with and overcome if they want to do anything. And, the fact is, most of them can't. Right, and, and on the day, United got out in front and made sure to make that lead stand up, and it helped that um, Atlanta's solution to everything in general was just throw more numbers forward and see what happens, um, which is a dogmatic approach. That's how Tata Martino is going to live and die. 
Um, and we've seen in this league that, you know, Patrick Vieira has a similar, broadly similar mindset. And he, at least um, at Yankee Stadium, he has managed to make it work. You know, the kitchen sink approach works for, for his team and his roster. Um, in this game, United, it made sure it didn't work. I mean, if Hamid doesn't make those first two saves in the first two and a half minutes, this game probably is like four nothing, five nothing. I don't. I, I think if those saves didn't get made, we're not talking about a win. We're talking about a brutal loss, um, mm-hmm. because I don't think United wakes up um, if they give up a goal that early, because they probably would have given up another one in the intervening period. Um, but to keep it to one. And then to get the own goal, um, which is kind of a slap in the face for Atlanta, that I do not think they were prepared for that to happen. Um, it really did, from that moment on, that was pretty much the game for Atlanta. Um, they weren't really very good from the moment that own goal went in. Um, yeah, they weren't very patient. Yeah, and they never threatened, really. I mean, they got shots and shots on goal, but I, I never, like, after that own goal went in, I, I never felt that worried there was um like i didn't know if it was i, I didn't know if it's gonna be a win but right i didn't let me think it was gonna be a loss after that. um there was an expected i'm pulling it up um 11 tegan 11 uh the twitter account at 11 tegan t-e-g-e-n 11 um tweeted out the expected goals plot for the game um from their numbers and it's funny to see how high atlanta's gets early or funny in quotes i mean it's kind of terrifying um, but then it never really goes anywhere from there. Um, they have a co- right. I think Matt Doyle said in his piece that it, before uh, DC United made their their switch uh, and and dropped Ian Harks mm-hmm. a little deeper, um, you know, maybe fifteen minutes into the game, Atlanta had about one expected mm-hmm. goal, and after that time, they had about one expected goal, right? Which is over a much longer period, and 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 that there there is that, a that kind of shows you. The- to the game right and and there's also something valuable in this in that um because it the expected goals that they come up with at the end of this is 2.06 for atlanta and 0.95 for dc but you have to remember the own goal is just thrown out entirely um Mm -hmm. expected goals generally they, they just throw own goals out which i've always thought is a flawed way of doing things because if you've got lamar nagel hitting across from that spot on the field with runners crashing the goal mouth there is something there um, that deserves being measured rather yeah. than just just like tossing right. penalty kicks out. Yeah, that's one are, of the... Um, yeah. Some some expected goals do, um, some don't, some models do and don't. Um, the ones that don't, I think, are flawed because I feel like if you're throwing penalty kicks out, that's absurd. Um, because a chance was created right. and, I think and it's a big want, chance. Like, a you can't throw it out. Um, right. If you want a picture of the game, yeah, I can... I absolutely see your argument. And this is... Interesting. I know in our in our comments on Black and Red United, there's a debate and a in a, a request for an explanation of expected goals and and how valuable it is. And I think right now it's still very much an in progress yeah. metric um, because it only counts shots. It doesn't count chances that you know maybe never result in a shot in this particular instance, but often will. Well, and like there's still not Lamar's, a like Lamar Nagel's cross that mm-hmm. resulted in a known goal. That that's a dangerous situation that has a value, yeah. and they don't have a way of assigning that value right now, and they don't have a way for accounting for goalkeeper skill or 
the individual player's finishing skill, many of them don't account for that. They don't account for defensive positioning or or scheme um, and, well, and how they can force you to one side of the goal or the other. So it's definitely got a lot of work left to be done, but it's I think it is a valuable metric to look at. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, and it, I mean, yes, it is valuable, but just like you were implying... There's not even one definition of expected goals yet. The, uh, the various different places have their own definitions, and they all include various different metrics when they're making their own algorithm for expected goals. So even just talking about expected goals in general, you're not talking about the same things depending on which uh, site you're or which outlet you're using for your expected goals uh, percentage. Right. We've had, there've been a lot of people trying to develop expected goals. None of them has done a good, as good a job as um, Ken Palm did with basketball, uh, where he, he put his list out for his Pythagorean ranking of teams and was very open when he was tweaking it, saying this version proved have less predictive value than this other one. So that's why I tweaked it this way and weighted it like that. And here's the new factors that I put in and I find it improved X, Y, and Z. Um, we haven't had anybody who's had both the, in the soccer world, we haven't had anybody who has both the, the statistics chops and the communication ability to do that. And I think if that happens, we'll see expected goals potentially take off because you'll have a real conversation around it that we haven't been able to have as clearly. Well, yet. let's remember if you have these statistical chops, uh, you're going to get hired by a club. Um, yeah, because that's true. there are 30 or 30 something um, NBA clubs looking for that sort of thing. Whereas um, in world soccer, there are thousands of professional clubs that would be interested in that sort of thing and can pay enough that you'd be able to make a living at it. Um, and so that might and be. I think, a... for example, the. Go ahead, Ben. I I think the guys at American Soccer Analysis, for example, I think they did get paid for a while by I think a club in Italy. Mm. I maybe I may be making that up, but I I feel like they got paid by uh, a European club to do analysis uh, for a while, and now they're trying to spin that off into a full-time uh, marketable information source, kind of like Opta does uh, in in their way. Uh, turning back to DC United, um, Sebastian Latou had the, the final goal. He, uh, he had one through ball to him that he managed to outrun. This isn't the first time it's happened this year where a, a pass to him, he's trying to let it go behind him and catch up with him. And he manages to accidentally backheel it while sprinting. Um, but his finish was was pretty good. Jason, what do you make of Latou's um, impact on the game as a as a center forward, especially with Patrick Mullins coming back from injury? I I think when United needs to be, be a counter attacking team like this, um, Latou is is proving himself to be better than Ortiz as the second best option. And might even, in this specific tactical instance, might even prove to be a better choice than Mullins. Because Latou has, he's always done well on counterattacking teams. He's always been really good um, 
making runs in behind and and playing that particular style really well. Um, that's not really Mullins's game. Um, and at home, you know, three home we've got three home games coming up in a row. Um, I think I would expect Mullins to be back starting. Um, but at the same time, it is we might see a situation where Latou gets one more start just for you know the locker room. It's it's hard to to tell a team that hasn't been scoring that many goals and then installs a guy at center forward and he gets a goal in two games in a row and you, you get a good result in two games in a row. It's hard to tell the locker room and it's hard to tell that guy, good job, now you're not starting um, because this other player is back. Um, so we might see Olsen sort of easing Mullins back in, not just for fitness concerns, but also just to manage the personalities in the room. Because if you just go benching guys that are succeeding, you're going to lose some people. Um, you You have personalities to manage. It's not just... Um, it's not a football manager style thing where you're like, well, this guy is better because the numbers say he's better and, you know, the computer is going to make him score more goals. So I'm just going to switch him. Um, you've got actual human beings involved and you've got to deal with the fact that Latou is earning his starts. Um, I'm surprised by it. You know, I said in the off season, that I thought he would be the fourth choice wide option that he wasn't going to be much of a forward except for emergencies. Um, I don't think he fits the way United wants to play in an ideal world, but he does fit the way they've had to play in the last few games, um, which is, is, and, you know, part of that is just they haven't been able to do what we expected them to do quite the same way. Um, I'm actually planning on writing about this a little more in depth um, tonight or tomorrow um, about how United has gotten back to finding goals, but isn't doing it in the same way as they did last fall where they couldn't stop scoring. Um, but you know, right. Latou's doing the job. Um, he's finding those gaps to run into. He's, um, he's always going to do the work. The work, the work rate thing is never, ever going to be a problem with him, but he's finding the moments where he can get in behind and he's not wasting those opportunities. Um, the breakaway this week wasn't too hard of a chance for him to finish. Um, the goal against the revs was actually a much more difficult goal and he managed to pull it off, uh, really, really skillfully. Um, so I expect him to get at least one more start just for the management side of the management of personality side of things. And I don't, the way he's playing right now, I'm not going to be too upset about it. Now, if they try and play the exact same style of soccer that they would with Mullins while Latou is in, it's not going to work very well. Um, Montreal, even with Montreal being not very good right now, it's still not an ideal way to approach that game. Um, but I think Latou has some other qualities where, um, it's not going to be too much of a problem where it's not like you're punting a game just to manage a guy's ego, um, which I know can be a trap that people fall into. I don't think that's going to happen here, um, but he's doing a more than satisfactory job, uh, especially considering what he was signed for was to be depth on the wing and possibly up front, maybe. And now it instead, he's established himself as the second best striker on the team right now. Yeah, and I, it'll be interesting to see if United tries this same tactical setup against Montreal or against Philadelphia or against who's the Chicago, the third team that we're, we're playing against. Chicago, it actually might make more sense mm. given their midfield. Uh, but with this three-game homestand coming, with the injuries DC United has had, Ben, how do you think they, they build on this, this result and this, these couple of results on the road? Uh, I mean, I think you just keep going with what's gotten you here. Uh, 
even though I think Patrick Mullins is going to be healthy for the weekend. I mean, he showed fine in his in the 20 minutes he was on the field at the end of the game, but I don't think he's a guaranteed starter on the weekend. I think Sebastian Latou has shown you enough that, uh, and he's been threatening enough that at least right now you might as well give continue to let him run out and and perform against uh these other teams even at home and uh other than that there i mean because of injuries and and the like there's not much else you can do so you keep the rest of the team the same and it's worked here and it's uh worked in uh in the recent past so why not stay with it yeah going back to Latou real quick i will say i'm disappointed in his goal celebrations so far through uh, his uh, his two goals i remember him at philly having a lot of fun with his goal celebrations and being over the top a couple of times and uh, well, i wanted i will, I will that. say that i saw um i believe he retweeted um his his wife's company um tweeting out a photo of him doing that w and it was it was not a washington w it was for their daughter willa i believe um so okay, it, well, it was a it was a if you if you were in the know you, um with his family and now now you know it got out because of them um right um, and now you are but, uh yeah it's one of those where it's not obvious to everybody what's going on there um yeah well i just remember him doing some like he did a dance from a geico commercial or something when he scored against dc united once i want to see more ran more fun random pop culture incorporation from him that's what i thought of uh, for his goal celebrations, and I just want to see some more of that. That's, well, if he keep, I want to see more opportunities okay. for him to to celebrate goals too. Yeah, I mean that's the course. main thing is if he keeps scoring, he'll he'll get the chances to do whatever, and then we'll actually get something uh, cool going on that we understand immediately, rather than something that we need um, further explanation on. Um, but yeah, you know, yes, I, it would be nice Michael- to see wild goal celebrations. But if DC scores a bunch of goals and has like the worst goal celebrations in history that aren't offensive, um, that's also fine. Like if they're just completely boring when they score, okay, fine. Yeah, I suppose if goal celebrations are really, if you if you care about the game, they're they're quantity I'm, over quality. I'm a big fan of, of celebrations sort of too, but, but I, I just uh, if if it happens to be that they're just like I don't care we don't know how to celebrate in a wild way. So we're just going to high five each other and that's it. Uh, I'll be okay. Um, we'll, we'll all be okay. I think, um, we'll, we'll all get over it pretty quickly. Um, but it would be, it would be nice to see a few other, because there haven't really been like, even now that they've started scoring some goals, there haven't really been any specifically notable goal celebrations in a while. I agree. And, Everyone should think on that, um, and we'll take a quick break. We'll be back real soon uh, to talk about the Montreal Impact. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. 
I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, DC United returned to the friendly, if aging, confines of RFK Stadium this weekend to welcome the Montreal Impact, who have been struggling of, well, really all year. Uh, they have seven points from eight games. Uh, their one win against Atlanta United, coincidentally, up at uh, Stad Saputo, Stad Saputo in Montreal. Um, that doesn't really mean anything. It's just an interesting little factoid. Um Jason Montreal, probably best known as um, the best counterattacking team in MLS over the last couple of years, especially come playoff time last year, as I'm sure our listeners remember all too well. Mauro Biello, the, the head coach of Montreal, said that they were going to try to expand their identity, not just be a counterattacking team at the end of last year. Whatever they're doing this year, it hasn't been working that well if they only have seven points from eight games but have they been trying to move beyond counterattacking first second and last to a certain extent um they've moved they've moved into uh more of a four two three one where patrice bernier plays as their attacking midfielder um which in the past he's been more of a a number eight or a, a second holding midfielder um and he's he's been doing pretty well at it he was at one point in the league lead for assists. I don't think he's there anymore, but he's up there. Um, so he's been doing well, but the team as a whole hasn't really um, been able to excel at, and it, it, they really haven't played anywhere near the level they did in the playoffs, um, which might also sound familiar to DC fans uh, up until recent weeks where they've actually started putting together results. Um, so it's been, it's been a, I guess a process, even though they've got a lot of familiar players, um, they've not gotten much out of Dominic Oduro, which really hurts. If you want to be a, uh, a counterattacking team, Oduro is pretty good, but if you want to be more than that, um, and he's not playing well and you don't really have much depth, you end up with, you know, not the best mix of attackers, uh, at that point. Um, it's been weird that they've gotten, um, you know, they've gotten a little bit out of some of their academy players. Um, Anthony Jackson Hamel has been scoring goals. Um, uh, Balu Tabla, uh, who is an 18 year old winger. They signed to a homegrown deal this off season. Um, he's been actually earning starting minutes. He actually kept Oduro on the bench, um, this past weekend. Um, so they found some players to contribute that can help, um, help them out, but the style of play, they still don't seem all that comfortable with. Um, and not just scoring goals wise, it seems like all over the field, they're just not quite built for this style of play. Um, yeah, I also get the sense that 
you know, we in the pre in the in the build up to the playoffs last year, one of my main focuses was the fact that Montreal had been playing for weeks with the same very old midfield. All those guys got older. They didn't defy time. They got a year older. Um, and maybe it's showing a little bit. Um, Vernier's been good. Uh, but Marco Donadel, he did score last week, but he's been okay, but he hasn't been quite as disruptive as he normally is. Hernan Bernardello has just been an average MLS guy this season, um, which they're paying him a designated player's wage. So that's a problem for them. Um, but I think overall there, there's a level of comfort that they just don't have with playing something other than being a counterattacking team. And when they're, when that happens and you're not getting Ignacio Piatti in like game genie cheat code mode, um, you don't win a lot of games and they're kind of showing the signs of all of that piling up. Yeah. You went a long time there without mentioning Nacho Piatti. Um, Bernier has been really good this year and he was fantastic in the playoffs Mm. last year. Um, he's a guy that if you give him even a little bit of space in the middle third of the field, he can spring somebody. And that's really what he, he brings to that. Or one of the things he brings that team. Piatti is the, the guy who unlocks other teams for them though. Uh, at least when Montreal's at their best, he's good in the open field. He can be good in possession. He can play inside, outside. He floats all over. He was kind of Nico Lodero before Nico Lodero, just right footed and on the left side, instead of the opposite of that. Um, how has he been this year? Is he, you, you, in, you hinted that he's not, you know, in God mode, uh, like he, he has been at moments in the past, but has, where is he rate for you this year? He's still been really good. Um, he's still, if I'm not mistaken, he's their leading goal scorer. Um, I know he's got three goals. I think he's the only player with more than one. If I'm, if I should probably pull that up, but, um, no, he's been really good. Uh, he's still one of the best players in the league. He's just not playing at that level where he's like an unstoppable force. And you say, okay, I just have to accept that, uh, um, Piotti going to score like twice today and our team has to produce three goals to get a win. Um, he's just not been quite that good. Um, but he's still been, I'm looking it up now. Jackson Hamel also has three, um, which two of which were in one game as a sub, um, you know, Piatti is still the kind of player that can ruin every... He's sort of like Montreal's Lucho Acosta in that your game plan can be really great and he has the skill to just ruin all of your plans and score a goal and make you lose. Um, playing down the left wing, uh, Montreal, especially right now, if, if Don Maduro isn't really helping that much, um, I mean, in the best of times, with everyone playing at their very best, there's, Montreal's still going to be a team that tries to get the ball to their left flank all the time. Um Piotti is over there, and Ambrose Oyongo is one of the best attacking fullbacks in MLS, and he's their left back. So they're going to be very left-sided anytime, but right now when the rest of the team isn't playing all that well, um, you've got Bernier picking up some of the slack, but that can't carry everybody else. Um, They're still going to look for Piotti all day long. Um, I think they know that ultimately the way way they're playing right now, especially, they're kind of going to go as far as... Piatti and Bernier can carry them. Um, and in this case right now, it's good news for United that he's not like completely unstoppable, but he's still a kind of player that could become unstoppable at any given moment. He's still a huge threat. So just now I learned that the MLS iPhone app, mm-hmm. when you go to the stats for the Montreal impact, it's suddenly in French. And uh, it makes it a lot harder to figure out what 
what it is you're looking at. Um, but uh, it, it does look like my, my French is terrible, almost non-existent. It looks like there is one other player besides Piatti and Jackson Amel who has more than one goal, and that's Matteo Mancosu, yes. who came off injured against Vancouver in that loss last week, will be out for some extended period of time, will not be at RFK Stadium. This is the guy that they felt comfortable starting over Didier Drogba last year. And I think he scored the first goal against United in the that playoff game. So this is a this is a big loss for them. Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, Mancosu, um, it's funny because he doesn't bring a ton of special physical traits to the table, but he's one of the smartest strikers in the league. He's a really good finisher, and he really understands how to play off of Piatti. Um, and those three things are a recipe for really troubling defenses because you. This is a this is one of the great things about soccer is you, you don't have to be bigger or faster or stronger than other people. If you're smarter than them, you'll be able to to succeed, not just be a, a guy on the team. You'll be able to actually be really dangerous. Um, but with him off the field, it, it changes things quite a bit for them. They'll probably go with uh, Jackson Hamel, um, who is in it. Like I said earlier, he's in really good form for him. Um, there was a, there were rumors earlier in this year that because he was so far down the depth chart that he might be someone traded away or, um, let go or sold or something like that. Um, but he's played himself back. He's shown the character to fight his way back up the depth chart. Um, and is almost certainly the guy that's going to step in for Mancoso. It won't be Oduro, uh, moving up front. Uh, it won't be Michael Salazar, who's, um, people might remember Michael Salazar, the guy with the big hair. Um, who has troubled United uh, a couple of times, both last preseason and in a couple games as a, as a super sub. They've loaned him out to Ottawa in the USL, so he's not going to be around. Um, Jackson Hamel is not Mancoso. He is faster. He's physically stronger. Um, he doesn't. He's not as mobile. He covers more ground without necessarily making as many of uh, diverse runs. Um, he's kind of a, a simpler way of playing the game. Um, but he does give Montreal some athleticism that they don't get from Mancosu. Um, he still knows that he's playing on Ignacio Piatti's team. He's not the kind of guy who, um, can't play with others. Uh, he's going to be deferential to a certain extent. Um, and he's, he's kind of, there's a, there's a little bit of an edge to his game. He's definitely going to mix it up. Um, uh, United center backs are going to have to deal with him. Not just he's he's not just going to let them post up on him. He's going to try and initiate the contact. He's going to try and aggravate them a little bit. Um, not to the extent that he's a dirty player or anything, but he's just a he's kind of an abrasive guy to go up against. And the fact that he's a combination of strong enough to go against Opari and Boswell and fast enough to actually beat them uh, in the open field, um, it does make him you know it changes the equation because United really only has this weekend's game against Vancouver. That's really the tape they have on him in uh in the current system because he other than that he's been playing as a super sub when they've been trailing um for example when they were trailing against the union and they came back from three goals down to get a tie uh jackson himmel came in but he wasn't playing up front he was playing wide right and then slashing in um when he got the chance to try and make that second forward run in this game he'll be the lone forward and united doesn't really it isn't going to go into this one with a ton of um, stuff to study on that. Um, so that's, an, you know, it could be, it, it could be that he's not as familiar with the attack and therefore doesn't play as well, or it could be that he's sort of a, a wild card for Montreal. 
one guy who could be on the roster probably won't feature for Montreal this weekend. Blair and Jamali, their new Swiss international designated player who Blah. is, who is in some status of en route from Bologna, the Italian team owned by Joey Saputo, who of course also owns the impact. Um, I think the next time United sees Montreal, Jamali will probably feature, probably not this weekend though, but just in case he does, Jason, what does he bring to the table for Montreal? Um, He's a, he's not really a, he's an attack minded midfielder. He's not really an attacking midfielder. Um, he scored eight goals this pat this season in Syria. I, I was about to say this past season, but they're not done yet. Um, the whole saga with him is that he signed with Bologna for one season under the agreement that after that season he would join the impact. Um, so it's sort of like he signed with Joey Saputo, um, and is just going to play for his one team and then go to the other one. Um, Bologna is safe from relegation mathematically, so they're like, well, he can go early if he would like then. Um, and I guess he's on board and the impact are on board, so he's going to go early. Um, so they, they're going to get him in before the window ends. Um, I don't think they're going to have time to really incorporate him. Um, I don't know if they'll have time to even get the paperwork necessary for him to be eligible to play. Cause there's still a transfer certificate involved. Um, but he's a hardworking goal scoring midfielder. He's got 30 something caps for Switzerland, um, which we've seen with guys like Tranquilo Barnetta that, they can have success at that. That's a level that you can be a successful MLS player. Maybe not a superstar, maybe not a game changing player, but a very good player to add. Um, and since I, you know, I, like I mentioned that Donadello isn't playing all that well, Bernardello isn't playing all that well, and they're both older players. Um, I think Bernier is going to play well enough to keep one of those three central midfield spots and Jamali will take a second. And then that reduces, you know, Montreal's down to, Donadell or Bernardello, which really improves the quality of their central midfield. Um, he's uh, going to be that late arriving kind of player. So maybe there's a little bit of um, Swiss Frank Lampard uh, without the constant injuries uh, to his game. Um, I mean, he did the same thing where he signed with uh, yes, except one city football group club and then went yes. to the other. Although I think he signed with NYCFC and then was loaned to Man City yeah. and then just and he's going to show up early rather than very late. Um, right. Uh, so, you know, the, this is the, the way you want that to go. Um, I don't think he's going to be a Frank Lampard level goal scorer in MLS where he scores almost a goal a game. Um, because when Lampard was healthy, he was, uh, I mean, he scored 15 goals last year, which was, uh, ridiculous. Cause I think he only played like 20 games or something like that. He's and not he's going to play. Builder. Right. He's, but he is going to be a guy that chips in where it's not just, you know, if Piatti isn't a golden boot contender, then Montreal is probably going to be bad. Um, so he gives them that, he'll give them that third goal scoring element. Um, once Mancosu comes back, they'll have three guys that would over, a, over the course of a full season threaten to score double digits. Um, so he will be a, a pretty valuable, um, uh, addition to them because Bernier is a good playmaker, but he's not really a goal threat. Donadell and Bernardello are both sixes. They both want to hold and, um, uh, be a reference point in the passing game rather than guys that get on the scoreboard very often. So it does change the way that their midfield works. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to be a factor for DC right now. So that's, it's a good time to be playing them because if they've got no Mancosu and Jamali can't, Jamali can't play, then you don't have too many things you have to shut down at that point. You have a, a young forward having a burst of form that may or may not be 
uh, permanent, and you have Piotti, which is a lot. Piotti by himself is a, a huge burden to deal with, but it's not necessarily the most difficult team to deal with defensively um, if you do your job right, which, you know, United did well for a while, but I don't think they can play. They can't replicate their plan against Atlanta uh, at home. They can't just sit deep and not have the ball because that Montreal will probably do the exact same thing. We'll end up with a very strange spectacle um, in which neither team wants the ball. We can't have that, so they're going to have to figure some uh, some way to attack, but they should be able to defend this Montreal team without giving away too much, I think. At kickoff, it'll look like the beginning of the uh, the old Monty Python philosophers right. football where, sketch where, where no one touches the ball. Around. Yes. yes. Um, uh I mean, technically, at that point, the game hasn't started. That's There's a flaw in that skit. I'm sorry to go that level of nerd. But until someone touches the ball, the clock doesn't begin. Jason. Right. I think it was the uh, the Germans that actually kicked off, but it was the Greeks that stole the kickoff. Yes. And eventually in that one. So, yeah, that, I, I will nerd with you there. I do have one other one question about the international transfer certificate, though. Yeah. Um, specifically the mechanics of it. Is it a physical certificate that each player has and there's only one and they have to send it by courier or DHL or give it to someone in a briefcase handcuffed to their wrist? Or is it something that they fax? Are they the only people in the world besides well, we know from England's deadline still day. using faxes? We know from England's dead do- deadline day that the fax is a factor in these things. Um, at these, in some cases, multi-billion dollar international corporations that are English Premier League teams, faxes are still a thing. Um, I don't know if the transfer certificate has to be faxed, but it does have to go to FIFA and then get out of FIFA, and that's right. probably going to cost you some time anyway. Portal at this point, secure web portal. I guess that, that would be ripe for hacking. And but even, still, the IRS can, you could... even the IRS can give me a web portal that I can use. So yeah. I, it's sort I of like dealing FIFA with any bureaucracy. Well. Um you know, if, if you've got to get something taken care of with the DMV, oftentimes it there is an obvious way it could be very straightforward, and it just, that doesn't exist, and there's no inclination to change things. So, you end up with the multi-day process, or however, it's, you know, something that drags out when it doesn't need to drag out. And in this case, the drag out is most likely, you know, you've got, Bologna has to give it to the Italian uh, Federation, they have to give it to FIFA, FIFA has to then send it along to the Canadian Federation and then give it and then they have to give it to Montreal um, or to MLS. Well, I guess Montreal has to give it to MLS at that point. Um, OK, um, I'm not sure who the I, I, I've never been involved in an international transfer, so I don't know exactly who has to hold these things. But I know both countries federations get a hold of it and FIFA gets a hold of it. And federations are bad and slow, generally speaking, Um ask any Canadian soccer fan how they feel about the CSA and they're not going to have positive things to say about it. Um, the Italian Federation has had its issues. FIFA is FIFA. So you've got a lot of organizations that aren't the best at doing anything, uh, trying to do something for you. So most likely he'll be in town, but unable to play. But even if he is cleared it, like you're not going to put him into a game on the road when you've had, he's had time to say hello to the guys. Like that's not going to happen. So, yeah. So, how does DC United match up overall, and what should they be looking for Montreal to do in this one? Uh, Montreal is going to sit deep and play on the counter. Um, they're going to do what works because they're not in a position to let some more points go by the board. They just lost at home to Vancouver, which is not something you should be doing. Um, so they're going to do what 
they're best at, which is to play that deep, you know, sit deep encounter. United just did that to Atlanta. Now they're going to have to show that they can beat that strategy. Um, I will say the good news is that the the midfield matches up in a way that seemed to trouble Montreal. Vancouver went to Stad Zaputo and played. They switched out of their normal formation and played four one four one, and that gave them direct man to man battles in central midfield by having someone deep. Um, they had someone. It was Matthias Matthias Lamba was in Patrice Bernier's face uh, most of the game. Andrew Jacobson and Tony Chani. Incidentally, Vancouver going back to packing their slowly but surely packing their midfield with as many defensive midfielders as they can get their hands on, just like Martin Rennie used to do. Um, but by having those three, um, by having one deep and two ahead, it meant that there's always somebody on the Montreal players. So you've got Donadell playing right of center, and he's got to deal with Andrew Jacobson all the time. Tony Chani's always in uh, Hernan Bernardello's face. Laba's always in Bernier's face. Um by making the game a little more physical, um, and not just like collisions, but like quickness over short distances, you're going to exploit the fact that Montreal's got that old, old central midfield. Um, United central midfield, by contrast, is significantly younger. Um, I think the combined ages of United's midfield is like one of Montreal's three. Um, and so if you make the game about that battle, you're going to win central midfield. Um, I don't think the guys in the impact midfield are going to be comfortable having to keep up with Acosta, um, having to keep up with Ian Harks. Um, and defensively, you're in good positions where you can shut those guys down, and thus you take one more thing off the table that they they can't, they don't have that extra thing other than Piotti. Um, so you reduce the number of threats, and if you can keep the, ga- the game off of that side of the field, if United can possess a little on their left side, which will be a little bit of a challenge. We know Taylor Kemp isn't the most possession-oriented player. He likes to go long a little too often. But if they can keep the ball to the other side or in the middle and not let Montreal have it on the left, they'll probably be able to dictate where the game is played. They should be able to win central midfield. And at that point, you set yourself up for, it. you know, it becomes difficult to lose the game if you accomplish that stuff. Um, Montreal's set-piece defense isn't, is not is pretty bad. It's been bad for a long time. It does not go, there's nothing that's going to fix it in between now and then. Um, that's how Vancouver got their first goal, um, a bad clearance and Andrew Jacobson just hammered it in from the top of the box, which United recently did with Jared Jeffrey. They had a goal just like that. Um, the opportunity is going to be there. Um, they don't, they're down to, I think their fourth choice center back with, uh, Kyle Fisher getting the start against Vancouver. So that's, a a big problem for them. They don't really have a guy that goes, that belongs with Laurent Simon other than Victor Cabrera, who is out with an ankle sprain and I don't think is about to return. I think he is two or three weeks from being able to, to play again. Um, so it's a, it's a game that sets up pretty well for United if they play up to what they should be able to do. And if they, they do the, the right basic tactical stuff, it's not a high level challenge. I think there's a reason Montreal has been down near the bottom of the, t- the standings and it's because they've got some problems. They're not playing very well right now. And even if they go back to that, let's be a defending counter team, um, that's not just going back to that isn't going to fix everything that's wrong with them right now. And United needs to make sure that this isn't the game that lets them turn it around. Yep. And that's the trick. Hopefully DC United comes out and executes and, uh, we see three more points and move up the standings. Uh, that's it for us this week. Unless you guys have anything else you really want to get off your chest. Win home games. 
At the end of this, yes. at the end of this stretch, DC is going to have played eight home games to four road games, which means if they don't bank points now, something's going to be. It's going to be bad in the future. We're going to future future us is going to be like, man, this really sucks right now that we don't have more points. Um, get them today, yeah. or DC United, not today, but don't do that to soon. Um, I I am a big fan of. I, I often in my life leave future Jason problems. Uh, future DC United does not need to have this problem. Uh, present DC United needs to make sure that future DC United is comfortable come August and September rather than being uh, stressed. Because if they come out of this stretch with like 18 points, if they can take 7 of 9 in these home games, because they're not playing great teams. They're playing Montreal, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Um, if Chicago is the best team you've got in a three-game home, or the best team coming in for your three-game homestand, you need to be taking 7 or 9 points. Um and if you take seven or nine points, they'll be in a pretty great spot at that point. Um, but if they start bleeding home games like they did at the beginning of the year, uh, we're going to have some sad news come uh, mid-October. We're going to be looking at, like, wow, if DC doesn't win their final games, they might miss the playoffs. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to contemplate that. So don't make us contemplate that, DC United. Come on. <laughs> Step it up. <laughs> ben, you wait a, wait a book in the episode, dude. Try. Thank you all for listening to whatever the hell this was. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at blackandredu for the site, at filibusterdcu for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Google Play. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about us and be sure to come to our uh, meetup. June 3rd, before the DC United LA Galaxy game at RFK Stadium, we're going to have a tailgate tent up in the tailgate row um, in Lot 8, and we're going to have a potluck, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Look for the, our... The Curtin Alpha Memorial Cup. Yes. <laughs> Can we call it the Curtin Alpha Memorial Tailgate? Yes. All I right. I mean, unless he's already been fired by the time this happens. No, I think then then it really will be kind of memorial. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we should have it. That, that should be the title regardless. All right. Well, right now it's on Facebook as I think the Black and Red United last season at RFK tailgate or something along those lines. Uh, ben, you should put a link to it in our show notes so that people can okay. find it. I will. All right. Do so. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you real soon. For Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, James. Magnets. How do they work? Hi, I'm Adam Taylor. You may know me from such podcasts as Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, or no, really, it's just Filibuster. In fact, you're listening to the end of an episode of Filibuster in this little blue marble rolling around the sun. You find yourself here with me. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. And I'm going to be even happier, and I hope you will be even happier, because we've got some exciting news coming just down the pike here at Filibuster. 
So uh, stick around. We have exciting news, and we hope you'll join us on what comes next. Goodbye.